Well, we are in a study here at Faith Bible Church through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, and encourage you today to turn to Matthew 5 as we finish out this chapter this morning, Matthew chapter 5, and we will look at verses 43 through 48. I'm going to read those verses out loud. You can follow along in your copy of the Bible. Matthew chapter 5, starting to read in verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We've stated in our study that the Sermon on the Mount gives us little snapshots, pictures of what it looks like to be right with God. How a person who is right with God should live. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 that he did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And by saying that, Jesus was saying that the entire Old Testament points to him. And if the Old Testament points to him, he has the authority to tell us what the purpose of the law is. In the section that we are in right now, from chapter 5, verse 21, down through verse 48, Jesus has given us Six examples of how the religious leaders of the day misunderstood the Old Testament law. You see, they thought that as long as they externally complied with the Old Testament, that they were good with God. So as long as they did not commit a murder, adultery, uh, divorce at will, use deception or retaliate, um, they were good. But Jesus said obedience to the law is not just externals, but it's actually also involving the heart. They thought, well, I haven't taken a knife and stabbed anybody. I'm good with God. But Jesus says, hey, if you hold hatred in your heart toward your brother... You're just as guilty as murder. The religious leader might say, well, I haven't committed adultery, but Jesus said, if you are looking at a member of the opposite sex with lust in your heart, you are just as guilty as the adulterer. And so Jesus' point in this section is that their idea of being right with God was not being right with God. They weren't understanding what the law was saying. In fact, Jesus made this very 
earth-shattering statement in verse 20. He said, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And that would have just shaken everybody up because who would be more righteous than a Pharisee, than these, than a scribe, these teachers of the law that are around us? Who would be more right with God than them? And so, even though they haven't come out and asked it verbally, on the hearts and minds of probably everyone who is there, they're asking this question. How righteous do I have to be? How righteous do I have to be? Jesus here as he's teaching on this hillside is trying to get through to those who are listening to him that none of us are righteous enough. So he comes to his sixth example in getting that point across and talking about love. You see, the religious leaders of the day felt like they were very right with God. And their decision to love lovable people, but to actually hate those who were Gentiles, who were not yielded to God... And Jesus is going to tell them that you don't understand what the Bible is saying about love. In fact, in the first couple of verses, Jesus is going to challenge them that to be right with God, a person who is walking in right relationship with God, their love for people is going to go beyond Loving the lovable. Actually, those who are right with God will love the unlovable. Now, probably every one of us in this room could say, I know an unlovable person. It's not hard for us to think about someone who's hard to love. When I was in college, there was this guy on our campus named Willie. Willie was hard for me to love. Toward the end of my career, I was madly in love with the girl who was going to become my wife. I was trying to get done with my college work. And I developed this huge boil. Right on my forehead. Right above my nose. It was giant. And it wouldn't go away. And Willie started calling me Cyclops. So that every time I would see Willie, he would start yelling up the street, Hey, Cyclops! Just He was hard for me to love. I didn't like that guy. And Willie, if you're listening to this today, I'm still ticked off. No, I'm kidding. He was just hard to love. And I had this huge, painful boil on my forehead. Willie did everything he could do to draw everyone's attention to it, as if everyone didn't notice it already. Oh, some people are just 
hard to love. And Jesus here is going to tell us that it's not okay to hold ill will toward the unlovable. In fact, we're going to see in verses 43 through verse 45 that we actually demonstrate that we're walking with the Lord when we love people beyond loving the lovable. Notice with me verse 43. Remember, in each of these six illustrations, Jesus uses kind of a little word formula. He he, he does it here again. You have heard that it was said... But I say to you, notice it in verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, in my copy of the word in the New American Standard, the words, you shall love your neighbor, are all in caps. In your Bible, that may be as well, all capital letters. If that's the case, that's showing that this is a quotation from the Old Testament. But you also notice that the second half of that, and hate your enemy, is not in caps. That's because the second half of that statement is not in the Old Testament. The first part of the statement, you shall love your neighbor, is found in Leviticus chapter 19, Verse 18, I'm just going to read it really quick. Leviticus 19, 18 says this. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So Jesus is quoting Leviticus 19, 18. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Over the years, Israelites' religious leadership started coming to a conclusion that if the Bible tells us, the Old Testament scriptures tell us that we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself, the converse must be true. That I should have a hatred in my life for the person, for the ungodly, for the person who is not seeking after God, for the Gentile. I should despise them. That's not a biblical conclusion. In fact, for example, we have a passage like Exodus chapter 23 verses 4 and 5 that says if we see our enemy's ox or donkey running away loose, we should go after it and help save it for our enemy. But these religious leaders kind of develop their own code that it was okay to hold anger and hatred and ill will towards somebody else. Jesus says, it's not okay. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And when he says love your enemies there, that word enemy has the idea of that's a person toward whom I have ill will. That's a person toward whom I feel enmity or strife or anger. This is a person I don't like. And there's a subset of that 
enemy here, Jesus talks about, when he says, those who persecute you. So Jesus is saying, no, it's not okay to have anger and hatred and ill will in your heart towards someone else. If you want to demonstrate that you're walking with the Lord, we don't hold anger and hatred toward another person. In fact, Jesus goes beyond and says, actually, we need to love them. Why? Verse 45. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus here is not talking about how to become a son or daughter of God. He's talking about the need to replicate God's life, that our sonship, our daughtership makes us look to emulate, to model our character after God's character himself. And God's character is this. God is gracious to the righteous person and the unrighteous person. God is gracious to the person who's loving and the person who's unloving. How? He says here in verse 45, he sends sustenance on both. They both get sunshine, they both get rain. God provides for both. And if we want our life to resemble God's life, Jesus is saying that we should love people regardless of how they respond back to us, how they treat us, whether it's a good person or a quote-unquote bad person. Jesus is telling the religious leaders of the day that you are not right with God when you're holding ill will towards somebody else. Believers show they're right with God when they love people beyond loving the lovable. Now, in these verses, Jesus gives us a practical way to show love. That's, you know, love is hard to quantify. How do I know if I'm really loving someone or not? Well, Jesus helps us with that. In verse 44, he tells us how to start loving unlovable people. Very simple, verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. One of the best ways that you, one of the best ways that I can love an unlovable person is to pray for them. To pray for them. We're going to spend some time, those of you who are in community groups, when we, when we meet tonight, Pastor Chris on our, on our study guides is going to give us, I think, five or six different biblical prayers that we can pray for anybody. We can even pray for unlovable people. For example, I'll read one of them in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. Sometimes it's hard to know, how do I pray for someone? Especially somebody I, I'm frustrated with. The willy in your life. How do I pray? Ephesians 3, starting to read in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. 
that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell on your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. How do I pray that for someone? I can simply pray this. God, please strengthen this person in the inner person and help them to know the depth of your love for them. Who has the potential to hurt you the most? Probably the person that you are closest to, right? I mean, if somebody that you don't have a relationship with does something or says something about you, we can pretty much blow it off. But if someone who's really close to you makes a cutting remark purposefully trying to hurt you or does something that purposefully is trying to hurt you, That hurts. And I can remember just throughout my lifetime a couple of times where I was just really deeply, deeply wounded. One by a relative who just made some very cutting comments. Another by a friend who did some some very public things toward me. And my initial reaction was just You live on your part of the world, and I'm going to live on my part of the world. And I hope they don't meet. The problem with that is, just like you, everyone who's a Christian has the indwelling Spirit of God. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 tells us that. And the Holy Spirit just kind of kept chipping away at me about that. That that was sin. That that was not right. And so under the conviction of the Spirit of God, I came to a point where I said, okay, I'm really angry about that comment that was made. I'm really bitter about that. What do I do? How do I ever find a pathway toward forgiveness and loving this person? And so I started to pray for them. It's amazing the work that God can do in your heart, in my heart, by praying for someone who's hurt you and me. God literally will take away the pain. He will. I can attest to that. Now, it's not like, for me, it's not like flicking a light switch. It's a process. But if we really want to love people, even those who are unlovable, Jesus gives us a way to do it here. Very simple. Start praying. Start praying for that person. And if we don't know what to pray, we can always pray a biblical prayer, just like Ephesians 3. God, please strengthen he, please strengthen she, please strengthen them in the inner person. And help him, help her to know the depths of your love in their life. And I guarantee you, if you are going to the Lord, praying for that person, In obedience to the Lord, He will change your heart. He will actually give you love in your heart toward that person. It's hard to quantify. 
How do I know if I'm really loving the unlovable? One way to know is to start praying for that person. Jesus comes in the next couple of verses and talks about how easy it is to actually love lovable people. Verses 46 and 47. He said, even an unbeliever can show love to the lovable. Look at verse 46. For if those who, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you wanted to have a job that nobody respected in Jesus' day, you'd be a tax collector. This is the guy that comes around and says, okay, you owe your Roman taxes and would put a surcharge on it and would pocket the surcharge and then pay your taxes. Not a popular guy. I don't know what that would look like today, but instead of filing our tax return and having to send that check in, if some guy came knocking on your door and said, I need your money today, he wouldn't be very popular. So Jesus is using that illustration and says, even a tax collector can love a lovable person, the most despised person we can think of in our community. Even they can love a lovable person. Or he goes on and says in verse 47, If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Now in our culture that's a little hard to understand. But in Jesus' culture, a proper salutation was a sign of respect. If you were coming down a road and came face to face with someone, there was an expectation that you would greet them properly. If you didn't, you would be disrespecting them. When I went to India for a month in the year 2000, I was sitting across from an older gentleman who did not speak English, and I was conversing with him through his son, And I happened to sit in a chair and I took my leg and I went like this so that he could see the bottom of my shoe. And this guy just started going berserk, talking really fast. And I didn't know what was going on, but I knew that something was wrong. That I had made him really angry. And so his son is trying to talk to him really fast and and saying, you know, trying to tell him. I knew he was trying to calm him down. And finally the son said, well, you showed my dad the bottom of your shoe? And that's not good. And he said, I explained to my dad, you don't understand. You don't know what's going on. This is one of those kind of deals. Okay? So what Jesus is saying, it's easy to give a proper greeting to your brother. Even a Gentile can do that. It's easy to love the lovable. I work a lot with exchange students uh, through my Rotary Club here in the city. And we just got done placing 13 students that are going to be coming in in the fall. It's interesting over the years looking at placing exchange students. European students always go first. If you have a student from Finland, Sweden... Um, Italy, everybody wants the European kids. And they'll just get snatched up. Before the names are even out, Rotary Clubs are snatching them up. 
But if a student is from an impoverished nation, or maybe don't look quite the same as we do, those tend to go last. Why is that? Because we're comfortable with people who are like us, right? It's easy to love people who are like us. It's easy to love the lovable. And here Jesus is saying, anybody can do that. Remember what Matthew 5.16 said? Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. In other words, what Jesus is talking about there is that his disciple needs to be living his or her life in such a way that people actually notice Christ in us. That when people see you, they see Christ in and through you. And Jesus is saying, do you know how to do that in today's world? It's not by loving lovable people. It's by loving the unlovable. It's by loving the person who's hurt you. It's by loving the person that you don't like. That's not likable. It's by loving that person that that just does everything in their power to undercut you, to wound you. Jesus says it's easy to love a lovable person. Do you want Jesus to be seen in your life? We love the unlovable. You see these religious leaders of the day, they thought, hey, we're good with God. We're right with Him. Even though they were totally vengeful and had hatred in their heart for people. They're only loving the lovable. Now remember, in the minds of probably everybody who is there, they're asking this question. How good is good enough? How righteous do I have to be? How righteous do I have to be to get into Messiah's kingdom? And so as we come to verse 18, excuse me, verse 48, verse 48 is actually kind of a section closer for all of these verses before it. And it's actually getting to the answer to that question that hasn't been voiced yet, but it's on everybody's mind. So Jesus says this, Therefore, this is my conclusion, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now there's some Bible teachers and some commentaries, books that are written about the Bible that will say that that word there should be understood as mature. And it can mean that. I don't think that's at all what Jesus, how Jesus is using the term. I think Jesus here is talking about the perfection of God. He is saying, do you want to enter into the kingdom? You have to be as perfect as God is. He's already told us in Matthew chapter 5 verse 20, 
For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He's already told us back in verse 3 in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about how poor in spirit means that in order to be righteous, I have to know I'm not. In order to be right with God... I have to recognize that I'm not right with God. Jesus, in the next chapter where we go, in chapter 6, is going to talk about the need to come to God in prayer and ask forgiveness for the sins that we have committed. You see, Jesus here is bringing his listeners Along a pathway. Because a large number of his listeners think that they're right with God. And Jesus is going to share that the only way we can be right with God is to recognize that we're not. The other day, there was a John Wayne movie on television. I like the Duke, fellow Iowan. I love his westerns. My favorite John Wayne movie is McClintock. Oh, I like that one. My favorite John Western movie that's not a western is The Quiet Man. Great movie. In 1972, John Wayne came out in a movie called The Cowboys. It's not my favorite because he dies in the end. He rarely dies in his movies, but he does in The Cowboys. But if you've seen the film, you remember that John Wayne, who in the movie is named Will Anderson, he spells it S-E-N, wrong way, it's supposed to be S-O-N, like my mother's maiden name, no, I'm kidding. Will Anderson needs to move his cattle herd from Bozeman, Montana, 400 miles down to Belfouche, South Dakota. But all of his hired hands have quit to go find gold. What's he going to do? He decides to go to the local schoolhouse, one-room schoolhouse, and hire all the boys at school to drive his cattle herd from Bozeman to Belfouche. And he comes into the classroom and asked the teacher to leave because he's going to talk to the young men. And so the, the teacher and all the young ladies leave the classroom and he tells the boys, I'm going to hire you. You be out of my place at such and such a time. If you've got a horse, bring it. There's this little tiny kid in the room and he lifts up his hand and says, Mr. Anderson, Does that mean everybody? And John Wayne takes out a piece of chalk and draws a line on a chalkboard and says, in order to go, you have to be this tall and leaves. Well, the other boys in the room realize that the chalkboard was up on some books and they take the books out lay the chalkboard on the ground, and the line was just at that smallest boy's height that he could go. They drew the line so that he could get in. 
It's a great, great part of the movie. If you haven't seen it, go rent some John Wayne. It'll do your heart good. You know, that's what people do. We, we tend to, in asking the question, how good is good enough? How righteous do I have to be? We tend to draw a line that we know that we can attain. And one of the ways we draw the line is we compare it to someone else. We compare it, well, here's, I know maybe I've got a few things in my life that aren't right, but man, am I better than this guy over here. We draw our own line. Do you know what Jesus does here in verse 48? He draws the line so high that there is no way anybody can reach it. It's like it's on top of the schoolhouse. It's, it's like higher than the highest mountain. Because Jesus says, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. How? How can I be that righteous? Answer, I can't. And as the Sermon on the Mount continues, Jesus is going to show us that he knows we can't, but he can. Because Jesus is going to show us that the only way to be right with God is through him. We can't be righteous enough. In fact, the Apostle Paul picks up on that truth in the book of Philippians Chapter 3, verse 9. We're going to talk, going to talk about this verse tonight in our community groups. Philippians 3, 9 says, says this, that I may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, which Jesus is showing, by the way, we can't, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. You see, what Jesus' point here is this. The only way to be righteous is to recognize that I'm not. The only way to be right with God is to recognize that I'm not right with God. Because as we look at at these six examples that Jesus has just gone through, all of us fail. Which one of us can say that I've never held anger and hatred in my heart towards somebody else? None of us can. We're all guilty. And so Jesus... Here in verse 48 is driving home the point. You're all asking, how righteous do I have to be? You have to be as righteous as God is. And he's going to let them think about that. Stew about that. Well, how can I ever be that righteous? Answer, we can't. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we need Jesus Christ. Because at the moment we put our trust in Him, He declares us to be that righteous. He literally removes our sin from us. And the scriptures picture it as Him taking a garment that's white as snow, a garment of righteousness, and wrapping us in it. So that as the Father sees us, He sees us with the righteousness of Christ. And if you're here today and you have never put your trust in Jesus Christ, I encourage you today to be a great day. 
We actually have some material back in our prayer room. You can stop back there right after the service. Ask one of our leaders who will be back in the prayer room. Can I have some of that material? Or maybe you want to give some of that material to a friend. Uh, We can give that to you. You can just take that little booklet, take out your own Bible, and look up passages of Scripture that will guide you to see that you can know for sure that you can be right with God through faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is drawing home a point that we can't attain to that level of righteousness, even in how we love people. If we're a follower of Jesus, we need to emulate the Father. We need to be seeking to love as He loves. But we'll be imperfect until the day we're with Him. Father, we thank You for these verses We thank you for the reminder that the only way we can be right with you is through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.